Welcome to those of you who are in the sanctuary this morning and joining us online. It's good to be able to study the Word of God all together. Over the past few months, we've been exploring how our good and beautiful God makes of us a good and beautiful community. And today, in particular, we're learning about what it means that we are an intergenerational community. And in our society today, being an intergenerational community is actually kind of rare. Because most of the time in our culture, we end up kind of siloed in with people of our own generation, from school classes to workplaces to retirement communities. And some of those divisions happen really quite naturally because we're drawn to people who are similar to ourselves. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's a lot of good with that, actually. But there's also a great gift that comes with the intergenerational experience. The Bible was written in the context of a communal culture. Abraham was a wandering Aramean, a nomadic shepherd who moved with his extended family from place to place. And there are still Bedouin shepherds in that region today who live in very much the same way. And several years ago, Christian writer Randy Frazee went to Israel and his tour group came upon a camp of these Bedouin shepherds, and as he looked at their sun-baked, wrinkled faces of those patriarchs of the shepherds, he thought, wow, what a hard life they have. And then he learned that the average, the average Bedouin shepherd lives to be 100 years old. And they rarely struggle with disease or bad health, ever. And intrigued by that fact, the Israeli government actually conducted a a study into their longevity, so probably so they could market it like they do with the Dead Sea salts. But the answer that they found about all this was actually one part diet, whole food Mediterranean food diet, and two parts lack of stress. Now you might think that life sounds pretty stressful to you, but think about this for a moment. In that community, Every generation had its own place, their own task to be done for the good of the whole. And every single day, they'd get up with the sun, the whole community, and some would go out to the sheep, and some would mend the tents, and some watch after the kids, some work on the food, some went to the market. And at the end of the day, as the sun starts to fall, all generations gather back up together for an evening meal and spent three hours over the meal talking and telling stories and singing and playing music, just being together. And since there isn't a whole lot of artificial light, everyone goes to sleep at a reasonable time and gets a full night's sleep and starts over again the next day. Life lived together. Older generations mentoring the younger, the younger generations blessing the older, all working together for the good of the whole. So why do they have so little disease or poor health? It might have something to do with daily diet and exercise, but I think it has more to do with finding value, life, and purpose in community with others. And in our society, it can be so easily, we can so easily become isolated from one another. But from the very beginning, God has meant us to function as his family, that our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I believe that God wants us as his people today to have the same kind of community, but this kind of family isn't connected by our bloodlines. Instead, we have been connected forever through the blood of Jesus Christ, what Jesus has done for us to adopt us all to be children of God by his redeeming work for us. It's Jesus who makes it possible for us to be family through him, to share one heavenly father. 
And when our church gathers, we're not gathered by our similarities or our experiences or our backgrounds. We're gathered by the one who unites us, by what he has done for us, our one God who calls us his own. And Jesus, through the community of his followers, modeled a kind of family that was bigger than bloodlines, including former enemies. We have a tax collector and a zealot, both in the disciple group, fishermen and craftsmen. And of the women who followed, some were mothers of the disciples, some were younger, women who had been healed, like Mary Magdalene. Some were women of power and influence, like Susanna, wife of Chusa. These men and women, this community that was formed in Jesus, was very much like the family unit of the nomadic Jewish tribes, intergenerational, all finding a role and purpose in their mission to follow Jesus and honor God their Father together. But what gave them the shared family resemblance wasn't a certain ethnicity or generation, but being of a certain Lord. In Matthew 12, 46 through 50, Jesus said, While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You see what that means? Jesus is saying that his disciples, his people, have the same place in his life and in his heart as his own family members. And that includes you. When God is our Father, we are brothers and sisters to each other. We're connected throughout all generations. And there's no bond more eternal than that one. And just like those multi-generational families of Bible history, today the testimony of different generations helps us realize that our God is faithful throughout all seasons of our lives too. That our faith family models that we can walk with him through all different changes of our lives and he will be there. And I believe that that's part of God's good design for us. That family of different generations is important for us to see the character and the faithfulness of God throughout our life and how he connects us to himself and how he wants to connect us to each other. Part of what our mission is, is to bless one another. In 1990, the Search Institute did a study of 5 million children from all different backgrounds, and they developed this list of 40 different assets that kids need to grow into healthy young adults. And the top 10 of those needs were, number one, family support. The family life provides high levels of love and support. Number two, positive family connection. Number three, other adult relationships, that young person receives support from three or more non-parent adults. That caring neighborhood, young person experiences caring neighbors. Caring school environment, parent involvement in schooling. The community values youth. Young person receives adults in, in the community, perceives the adults in the community value them. Youth as resources, that young people are given useful roles in the community service to others that they serve, and safety. Now, that's only the top 10 of the 40. And we know that not everyone has all those things growing up. But it really struck me when I first read that list how many of those things were fulfilled for me through my church community growing up. I think in God's wisdom that the church is meant to be that kind of community that functions, functions as an extension of the family. 
And thinking about those other caring adults in the lives of kids, when you have teachers or coaches who really pour into the lives of kids, that encouragement is great. But at the end of the day, those teachers and coaches have to give a grade or have to play them or not. And so thinking about that, even more important are these intergenerational relationships at church where people can come and realize that they are loved not because they produce anything or excel at anything, but just because they are. And my church when I was growing up was that to me in spades, a safe place where I was valued and where I could grow in knowing the love of God for me where I saw people of different generations worshiping and contributing from a third grader playing her clarinet to 85-year-old Ev playing his violin along with the hymns. And this is what I believe God means for the church to be to one another, especially for those who are just coming to realize what it means for them to be loved by God, to model a lifelong learning in being disciples in response to God's longer-than-life faithfulness to us through Jesus. There's a reason why God calls us together to be an intergenerational church community. Because the older generations have a lot to teach the younger about what they've learned through the pitfalls of life without losing the center of what's most important along the way. And the younger have much to teach the older about how to navigate an ever-changing world as we seek the unchanging truth of Jesus' saving grace and to pass that on to the next generation. And I think being around the younger ones keeps the older ones young, and being around the older adults keeps the younger ones grounded in what never changes, our anchor and our need for God's power and grace. As long as we remember that what unites us is not our similarities but our mission, the mission that Jesus lifted up when he identified his family, to do the will of God to remember whose we are. Jesus says, For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. That God's will knits us together and helps us to acknowledge all those different ways that each one of us are called to reflect his love to the world. And when we see beyond our own experience through the eyes of someone in a different generation, we start to see how big our God is and how much he loves people. So in order to do that, I'd like to get a couple of different other voices up here today. I'd like to invite Danny Householder first to come up to share some things that he's learned about the intergenerational church at work in his own experience. Danny? Thanks, Pastor Angie. Uh, Hopefully my mic works because I just dropped it. So, uh, hey, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Danny. I'm an intern here, and uh, I work primarily with our uh, student ministry, so 7th to 12th grade. Um, I've done some work with our elementary students as well. Um, and not only do I work with the young people at this church, but I, I still consider myself a young person. Uh, I am 24 years old, and so I'm even still a part of the generation of the high school students that I work with, uh, which I don't think they realize all the time. <laughs> In their eyes, I am old, and, and I'm getting used to that. Uh, but with that being said, I would like to say that there's something that's really fun about being young in today's age. Uh, I can't necessarily speak on what it was like uh, to be young if uh, you're in your 30s, you are still young. If you're in your 40s, you're still young. If you're in your 90s, you're still young. It depends on how you feel, okay? I'm going to dig myself out of that hole before I bury it. <laughs> All right. No matter what time period, though, that you felt like you were young, that you would have considered yourself a young person. I can't speak to that, but what I can say is today, being a young person is really an exciting time because so much is poured into us. 
There's education that flows to us. There are opportunities that come our way. And people are really excited about what can young people do in the future. With that being said, there's also something really scary about being young today. There's also a lot of pressure that comes with it. Because as Pastor Angie alluded to earlier, there's something about being young that makes you feel like you always are trying to make the cut. Like you're just trying to be enough. The story that I thought of when I thought about, okay, when was a moment in my life when I was just trying to be enough? And immediately I went back to high school, Danny, uh, and specifically my sophomore year of high school when I was uh, on the football team. Uh, and we were having an inter-squad scrimmage. And I believed in this football team with every single ounce of my heart. And I wanted to be a part of this football team, and I wanted to receive my coach's approval. I wanted to get that acceptance from them. I wanted to get the acceptance from my teammates. I would have ran through a brick wall for my coach and for my teammates because clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. And I said, like, high school football, it is life when you are 15 years old. And so we're having this inner squad scrimmage. And part of uh, this inner squad scrimmage is sophomores, for the first time, have the opportunity to scrimmage against the varsity team, the junior and seniors, which is a terrible idea. <laughs> it's terrible. I want to show you what I looked like when I was a sophomore in high school playing football. And this is actually from the inner squads. I know. You're like, how could a guy of this physical stature today look as scrawny and skinny as that boy on the screen? I know, right? But just believe it, that's me. Uh, that's actually my older brother in front of me. He obviously got the better genes. <laughs> he developed much faster in life than I did. And uh, it was my turn, though, to go out on the field in this inner squad scrimmage. And uh, sure enough, I'm in the huddle and I played wide receiver. And uh, the quarterback comes in and he calls the play. And I don't remember what it was, but I remember thinking, oh, the ball might be coming to me. Oh my goodness, not only am I in the game, but the ball might be coming to me. This is my opportunity to make the cut. This is my opportunity to make a name for myself. And so I run across the field, and I'm thinking, oh, this is for you, coach. I'm running through a brick wall. The ball goes a little bit high, and so I jump in the air. And the problem is when you are about six feet tall and 145 pounds, and you're jumping in the middle of the air, you're very prone to pain. And so... I jump up in the air, and along comes this monster, <laughs> a, a behemoth of a man who is apparently 16, and, he, uh, and he, he hits me once in the legs. I'm convinced that I fly up in the air. He hits me twice in the back, three times in the head. I land, and uh, I can't, I, 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 I don't know where I am at that point. And just to give you an idea of how bad this might have hurt, I'd like to show you a picture of what this athlete looks like more recently. So if we could pull up that picture. Yeah, he's the guy hammering the other NFL player. <laughs> His future was with the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> Mine was with the Division III track program. So we weren't necessarily on the same level. <laughs> I would have ran through a brick wall for my team. I gave my body for my team, and it still wasn't enough to make the cut. And that's a silly illustration for how we actually sometimes feel in life as young people. We're just not quite enough to make the cut. And we feel like that in a lot of different aspects. You know, in high school, it's about trying to fit in with the crowd or trying to make the grades to get into the right college. And after college, it's trying to find the right job. 
And sometimes it's just, we don't feel like it's enough. We feel like we're not enough. We fall into that lie. And we feel a lot like this guy named Peter. Peter, Jesus' disciple. Now you know that Peter was maybe looked at with not the highest regard, because just read the gospel accounts, how the uh, gospel authors portray him. Very quick to speak, oftentimes wrong. Cuts a guy's ear off. They don't exclude that part. Very impulsive. Maybe people didn't think so high of Peter. In fact, Peter wasn't even his real name. His name was Simon. And Simon to this world was this shaky, impulsive guy. Until Jesus comes along. And in John chapter 1, Jesus walks up to Peter. Calls him Simon by the name that he's known as. Simon, shaky, impulsive, out there, wild. Probably isn't quite enough to make the cut. And he says, Simon, I call you Peter. What a different perspective Jesus has than the rest of the world. The world tells, Pete, tells Simon, you're shaky, you're Simon. Jesus says, no, to me, you're Peter. You're the opposite of shaky because Peter means rock. And this is the rock on which Jesus would later build his church. So as a young person today, I ask you to approach young people like Jesus approached Peter. Saying, I know how the rest of the world is seeing you right now, and I know the lies that you're believing, that you're not smart enough, that you're not athletic enough, that you don't have enough drive, that you're not, that you're not good looking enough. I'm going to love you because I want you to see what I see. I want you to see how God sees you. That you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And no, you're not perfect. Trust me, as young people, we know we are not perfect. On my way up here, I tried to put on some hand lotion. I squirted it right across my shirt. I tried to clean it. So if it's wet still, yeah, it's not. It's dry. I didn't have to talk about it. (laughs) But I ask that you love me anyway. But as a young person, I ask that you love us. I ask that you reach out to us because we need you. We need someone who's seen and has lived the life that I'm living right now and can see past it and can know that there's more and can know that there are brighter days ahead when today seems a little dark. And that can tell me that you might not be making the cut in your eyes, but in mine, you are. You're enough. You're not shaky. You're not worthless. You are enough. I love you. Rock, Peter. (laughs) Love us. Be there for us. It changes everything. We've got kids in this church who have received that love and and people who are in charge of my microphone and my slides right now and could easily make me look sillier than I already do. There's like four of them sitting in the control room right now because they've been poured into by people like you. Do that. Change their lives. See what happens. Love on them. I'd like to invite Pastor Angie back on up. When I was on sabbatical, uh, Kari Charbonneau, our care minister, had a very profound experience with our church family of an intergenerational connection that I'd like to invite her to share as well. Good morning. Well, my favorite part. 
I get to tell a story. I get to tell a real-life story. It's a testimony about you, about you, First Lutheran. You see, this wonderful family sits here week after week at the 9 o'clock traditional service. This is Kyle. He sits in the second row with his mom, Glenda, and his dad, Mark. And this is a low week attendance of kids, as you can see. So my, my guess is it might be this, this, this Sunday last year. Anyways, Glenda posted that to Facebook. And it was, it was just brilliant. I loved it. I got so many likes. And it wasn't because of me. But anyways, and I say hi to Kyle over there at 9 o'clock. Um, but we've become real friends since. Glenda, Mark, Kyle, me. And you can see Kyle's very comfortable with adults. He's just a joy. And anyways, they're over there right now. So for being a member of First Lutheran Church for over 50 years, we have little Lila Nelson, who stationed herself at the right side of the sanctuary in the back door. She was an usher for probably close to 40 years. The north door was hers. She owned it. And that's where this friendship began. Kyle, age four, Lila, 88. Lila always had a smile on her face, and a hug was not far away if you wanted one. And she brought candy every week for Kyle, who she lovingly called her little guy. Their friendship grew just by seeing each other here at First Lutheran, here at church. And Kyle liked bringing her a smile and a hug and an Easter basket for the past two Easters. So I was called to Lila's bedside in June by one of Lila's daughters, Judy, and she asked me to come quick. She said it wasn't going to be long. I braced for the worst, and I prayed in my car the whole way to Forest Lake. God, use me. Let, her, let, let me not be late. Let her be peaceful. Let her be comfortable. Upon arrival, that prayer was answered. I hesitantly walked into the room. What am I going to see? And I was stunned. Lila was sitting up in bed <laughs> with, you got it, a big smile and a big hug for Kari. Praise God. What a memory. So they had gotten her through this tough moment of coughing. They made her comfortable, and we visited, and her family was there. There was Max and Jody and Judy, and they just welcomed me into their family like I was a cousin or something. They just brought me in the room, and they... Just let me stay. Lila loved to see me, and she continued to tell me what a huge part of her life, First Lutheran, was and is. She misses her church, she said. Over and over, she said, I miss my church family. So I just want to tell you that, First Lutheran. That's pretty cool. Because she raved about you, and she raved, and she raved about you. Jesus makes us family. She started to talk about Kyle, and we're all just talking about Kyle and how much joy he brought to her every week, and that's when one of the siblings kind of just said, wouldn't it be great if she could see him one more time? And I thought to myself, how could I get a hold of Glenda? And the Facebook post popped into my head, and I realized I've got her on my phone, she's in my contacts, I'll give it a whirl. So I Facebooked in inbox. This is some social media talk. So anyways, I could get to her. It wasn't by telephone. And if you can believe it, I also I said a prayer. I said a prayer real fast, like, let her get this. And within one minute, 
I heard back from Glenda. One minute. Mark and Kyle will be there soon. I couldn't believe it. 30 minutes later, Mark and Kyle are in the door, and Kyle leaps into the room, leaps into the room, because he sees her. Arms open wide, he runs to her. Lila! The love that filled that room was honestly something so thick that it stopped time. Kyle sat up by her on her bed, and he snuggled her, and the look on her face was priceless. And I think this sums it up. I took that picture at the foot of her bed. Kyle splashing God's love over everyone in that room. It was incredible. And I got to see front row seat, intergenerational family at its best. Lila loving Kyle, Kyle loving Lila, Lila's family loving Mark and me and Kyle. That's how Jesus makes us family. Lila went home to be with Jesus that night. Another prayer answered, she went peacefully and comfortably. What are the odds? His mother was in Nebraska, visiting with her sister. His father took the work week off because he wanted to be a vacation Bible school teacher. What are the odds? They had no plans that day at about one o'clock other than nap time. The odds that they got there was amazing. And this God story gets just a little better. Glenda, Mark, and Kyle really enjoy Donatelli's, and I know a lot of us in this room really enjoy Donatelli's. But over the years, they've developed friendships with some of their servers at Donatelli's. And one of, their, one of them is Christy. The night of Lila's passing, Glenda got this new message on her Facebook. Glenda, this is Christy from Donatelli's. Today, your precious son visited a woman from church. That woman was my grandma. My mom was just telling me about this sweet little boy who made grandma's last day so happy. An 88-year-old grandma, a four-year-old soon-to-be kindergartner, because he's five now, a college-aged favorite server, God weaves and ties them all together for us even when we don't see it. I got to see it with my own two eyes. God uniting us all together as family, an intergenerational family, a community. God's love was splashing all over that room, and it's a real-life story that I'll never forget. Glory to you, God. We praise you. So let's pray. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the life of Lila, for Kyle being such a loving friend, and for your spirit so alive and present that day, and so alive and present here. Thank you, Jesus, that you make us family and continue to unite and make us brothers and sisters in you. We live and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kari. We all need the love of Jesus, and we are created to share that love with one another throughout all generations. And so as we close today, what I would like to do is to join together in reading the words of Psalm 78. Again, I'll read the odd verses, and if you'll respond in both rooms with the even verses as we uh, speak the words of this psalm together. Things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide them from their descendants 
We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then they would put their trust in God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your love for all of us, and we thank you for your faithfulness throughout all generations. We thank you, Lord, that through our Savior Jesus, that you have adopted us into your family now and forever. Lord, we pray that you would teach us what it means to be your disciples and to be with one another as brothers and sisters as we look to follow your will in this precious life you've given us to live together. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.